time to show the world that top is what I strive for. Greatness is a journey I'm willing to strive for. Consistency is key and I don't take no time off. Against the odds, I put it all on the line for. A lesson learned for every flaw I'm gonna make. Consequence I undertake. Putting all my trust and faith. Failure won't become my fate. Tintos down, I never fall. Okay, we are live. And maybe we can start with a very brief outline of your background. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, Jacob. I'm Alejandro. I'm an executive coach for startup founders and high performers who are creating revenue in seven to eight figures. I'm also incredibly passionate about psilocybin advocacy and mushroom mycology in general. I'm also an angel investor in high growth startups who are creating social impact in the world in terms of industry. And I've been an operator and an entrepreneur for 12 years. I've helped build and sell media companies. I've helped build a ocean nonprofit organization. I've done a aerospace company. And before I transitioned to being a coach, I helped launch and scale an artificial intelligence company that led me to my burnout that then gave me my breakthrough to become a coach. Right. And I suppose this is related to your journey also into the world of mushrooms down the rabbit hole with mushrooms as you call it and you have a long post that i read on your website is that correct yeah so that's actually perfectly correct and for aligns really well for me mushrooms was really something that came calling for me so in 2014 i was first introduced to mushrooms on a recreational capacity i really dove deeper into my my psychology and my psyche and my soul But in 2020, I had this incredibly challenging period of time where I was, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I was really depressed. Uh, I was unaware of that depression and I was really looking for validation and, and, and achievement, right? Like we validate ourselves through our work, our fundraising, our, like our KPIs. Like if I get this, then I'll be better, right? So I was grasping for something and I decided to quit my job after being in my honeymoon and waking up soaking wet in the middle of the Colombian jungle and my wife comes to me she's like hey honey everything's okay and I was like yeah why she's like look the bed is soaking wet I was so soaked from sweat and I, at first I thought I had like peed the bed so I was like oh my god I'm 31 years old like what am I doing right I mean she was like no 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 no, no. honey honey like you've just been like screaming in your sleep this has to end this has to end And so that's when I realized that I was having misalignment and living in, in a place where it wasn't healthy for me. It was the edge of burnout in the middle of it, not even the edge, in the middle of it, actually. And so I decided to quit my job two days before COVID with no, no alignment, no other job in the present moment. And that's when I really stepped into my power because I realized that I had lost all my practices. I lost my way and I was doing things out of, out of achievement and seeking social validation and not doing things for me. So I wasn't fulfilled. I looked around, we had grown the company from zero to 120 employees. We had raised tens of millions of dollars. We were multinational, but I wasn't fulfilled. I wasn't happy. And in that process, um, I decided to quit my job and then COVID hits and the lockdown happens. And I start in this process of internal processing and internal search of really coming back into prayer and coming back into my spiritual practices of 
meditation, analysis, and quote unquote, doing the work, reading, journaling, really speaking to my coach and my, my therapist and people who were there to support me. Because I was like, hey, I'm not in a really good place. And one day I remember it, like it was yesterday, it was actually just hit me. It was kind of a beautiful epiphany. I was like, I don't feel safe. And I was like, oh shit, I haven't felt safe since I was like eight or nine years old. I've been operating from a place of survival and I was achieving things thinking that these, these concepts or these achievements will help me survive versus thriving. And mind you, I'm not saying that all my life has been like that, but I think majority of it was, right? I still lived a very fulfilled, very joyous, very happy life with amazing friendships, amazing family. But at the same time, the underlining undercurrent, the heavy undercurrent was survival. And I didn't feel safe. So I was like, wait, I'm a biohacker. I'm, I'm an, I can actually change my brain. I know I can rewire my brain and like I can reteach it new things. It, I just have to consume different content, different things, expanded the concepts. And so I reached out to a few buddies of mine who are neurologists. So I reached out to two neurologists and I was like, hey, how do I rewire the brain? And how do I create this concept called neuroplasticity and neurogenesis? So neuroplasticity is the science behind the brain that can actually create new connections. And neurogenesis is the ability to create new cells, right? And so I was like, okay, what can I do to do that? And so I reached out to a few neuroscientists and they were like, hey, sleep, diet, oxygenation, exercise, you know, quality, low quality stress, like making sure you bring down the stress levels. Like I was like, cool, that's awesome. I already, I'm, I'm working all those things. Like how long is it going to take? And they're like, ah, anywhere between two to three years. And I was just like, what <laughs> deflated, you know, I was like, okay, I, I found it. I got it. Like, this is amazing. And then two to three years, I was like, I was deflated. And at the same time I was excited and I was energized. So I was like, hey, two to three years to get my whole life back. Cool. Let's fucking go. Let's get it going. Let's get step one. And like two weeks into it, I remember I was working out of my house and I was doing squats specifically. And I was like, wait, I have a really good friend of mine who is the founder of a nootropics company. And he is absolutely obsessed with the brain. And he navigates like the gray area, you know, not like the gray area of supplements and things of that nature. And so I was like, you know what? this is important enough for me to like exhaust all my, all the avenues that are available to me. So I hit him up and we're having a conversation and he tells me the exact same thing as the neurologist, sleep, meditation, diet, you know, oxygenation, low stress. And he's like, make sure you get your mantras in. But then he's like, look, if you start taking parazitan, which is like a nootropic, you may actually be able to do this in about a year instead of two to three years. So I was like, great. I just reduced my, my timeline by two thirds. This is amazing. And so then he, all of a sudden he just goes quiet, like awkwardly quiet. I don't know if you've ever had a phone call where you kind of actually have to check like the timer. Like, yeah, yeah it was, it, it was like that awkwardly quiet. And I was just like, Hey man, are you there? And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking something. And I was like, okay, what are you thinking about? And he's like, there's this concept that has been around for a few years now. It's about, it's about utilizing psilocybin. You know, I trust you because this is the guy who introduced me to mushrooms and he knows that I'm very, I'm very intentional with mushroom use. I'm very spiritual. I'm, I've never taken them recreationally. I'm only taking them in a very spiritual, intentional way. And he's like, you know, 
I think this is what you should look into actually, because there is studies that have shown neuroplasticity and neurogenesis specifically around this. And you can rewire and recondition your brain to operate from a different perspective. And I was like, okay, what is it? And he goes, look into the Paul Stamets stack and the phone hangs up. And I looked at it and I was like, what? All right, so I wrote down the thing. I tried to call him back, but it went straight to voicemail. And I was like, what, Paul Stamets? And I go down this rabbit hole. I start Googling Paul Stamets stack. And that's when I figured out that this was gonna be something really powerful. I started seeing his talks, his conversations. And then lo and behold, my buddy calls me two hours later. He said, hey, my phone died. Sorry about that. But it was kind of like this really weird moment. <laughs> just look into the Paul Stamets stack and the phone hangs up. And it was just really like magical. And so I dive into the world of mushrooms. I've always been a fan of mushrooms as, as like somebody who enjoys truffles, somebody who enjoys chaga, like but never really like known mycology from the beginning. So I was like, okay, let's dive into this. And as I dove into this rabbit hole of psilocybin, I started noticing mycology in general is an incredible study of fungi. So for the listeners who don't know what mycology is, it's really the study of fungi. And fungi is now to be known as the sixth kingdom, one of the kingdoms in the world that actually is a stand. So mushrooms, fungi is not a plant and it's not an organ, it's not an animal. So it's its own organism, right? It breeds oxygen, it has its own, it has its own ecosystem. And it, it's found at the beginning and at the end of life, which is really, really interesting. And so as I'm diving into this world, I find Paul Stamets stack and I start finding that it's like lion's mane, which is another mushroom that in 2000, scientists from Japan found that lion's mane actually helps with reconstructing neuroplasticity and neurogenesis in the brain. And then I find out that psilocybin actually has effects for depression and has it like has really powerful therapeutic uses that can create transformation. And I was like, okay, this is really great. And then I looked into the, the final concept and it was vitamin B3, which is niacin, which allows you, to, it's a membrane to actually allow the transport of the psilocin into your brain, into your body. So I was like, all right, cool. What am I gonna do with this information? Because right? knowledge without action is failure. And then I was like, all right, I need a controlled setting. And I looked around, I was like, Jacob, I was like, I don't have to be anywhere. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to see people I don't want to see. I don't want to, I don't, I'm not going to be interrupted, quote unquote, by traveling in the subway or getting in the cab or be, or have stressors. And I was like, wait, this is the perfect time to have a controlled experiment. Oh shit. <laughs> and so I literally went back to like my elementary school days and I pulled out the scientific method, right? So I was like, all right, let's go. Let's go with the scientific method. Let's do this. So I cleaned out my body for two weeks. I stopped taking supplements. Every supplement that I had taken, protein, anything, like I was just like, I'm going to clean it out. I'm just going to be drinking water and eating super clean because I didn't want to, I wanted to reduce the amount of supplements that I was taking. So I knew what wasn't affecting and what wasn't, right? Sometimes it could be vitamin B12 that could be helping you. It could be something along your multivitamins or all the antioxidants that you take, et cetera. So I was like, yo, let's remove all that. And so then I set myself up for a very intentional 90-day protocol experiment, right? Same bedtime, same wake-up time, um, tracking all of my intakes of everything, of every chemical that I was doing, my diet. I, I recently actually just found the book again, which is really powerful. And I decided to journal every morning and every evening. And I also was going to do a video journal in the morning and in the evening, because I said to myself, I can lie to myself when I write. 
I'm eagerly optimistic, right? When I'm writing, I'm like, oh, this was such a great experience. And, but in video, you can't lie to yourself. So I was like, all right, this is going to be really powerful. And from that moment, I have to give, I have to give a lot of credit to my wife. My wife has a master's in psychology and she and I spoke about this and she was there to help me integrate the process to talk through things that were coming up for me, things that I was not healing, some things that I was not doing. And so I started this, I started this system in a very controlled environment, tracking blood pressure, tracking diet, tracking sleep, tracking exercise, tracking the content that I was consuming. I was, I literally reduced my screen time by 90%. I was only spending about an hour and an hour and 30 minutes in, on my computer or cell phone. So I was really diving in deeper. And so I, what I what I ended up doing was I architected this, this really, really beautiful scientific process with a spiritual approach, right? Because I wanted to dive deeper into my healing, into my consciousness, into these concepts. And so every night before I went to bed and every night I woke up, I was like, hey, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. I started letting my brain know. And something magical happened at day 32. I was following the Paul Stamets back, which says take the psilocybin for five days, two days off. But I decided to do four days on, three days off, just to kind of give myself that, that breathing room. And in day 32, one day I woke up and I felt completely different. And I was like, whoa, it's kind of like when, I don't know, I can't explain it other than it's like removing a layer from your eyesight. And, but it felt in my whole body, like really powerful. I woke up and I was in the shower. I'm like, I feel safe. Like, I feel safe. Like, wait, no, I am safe. Holy shit. And that was the day where I, I pulled out the psilocybin and I started measuring it for the day. And my body's like, no, you don't need it. And I was like, okay, let's honor that. Then the next day I went back and I was like, no, I don't need it. I don't need to crave it. I'm not, wait. And the same thing happened for four days in a row that I didn't need it. And I was like, oh shit, this is really powerful shit. This is a really powerful medicine. This is really powerful because one, it's not addictive. Two, my body felt really good without it as much as it did when, it, when I was doing the work. I was like, wait, let's just keep doing the 90-day protocol without the mushrooms. Let's see what happens. Let's keep the, let's keep the flow. Let's keep the exercise, the diet, the sleep. Let's, get, let's keep the controlled environment, but let's reduce it. And what I noticed was that I was feeling safe. I was showing up more honestly, more, more honestly, more authentic, more present. I was no longer being riddled with anxiety or overthinking. I was no longer in my head. I was more in my body. I was, there was this moment that I, what I can embrace it is like, there's this, there's this space between the world and how I was responding to it. There was this pause that allowed me to process instead of being reactive where it's like, it went like this. It was like, Hey, and it allowed me really become intentional. I was like, Oh my God. And I remember I was meditating one day and it came to me just downloaded, just fully downloaded. And it was like, you need to be an advocate for this. You need to, you need to come out of the psychedelic closet and you need to let people know of this powerful, powerful medicine because people need to learn about it. And so lo and behold, I start buying in these 90 days, I start buying all the books in the world. Literally, like I had, I spent like $1,500 and I have a stack of books that's like maybe four feet tall. Everything by Paul Stamix, James Fadiman, you know, like the whole research of the Imperial College of London, all the John Hopkins papers, you know, Stanford, Harvard, like you, you name it, I read it, right? 
But one of the things that I noticed was that a lot of people have, were doing research on the big journeys, on like the, like the super dosage journeys, like the three and a half gram journeys that have like these beautiful therapeutic six to eight hour long journeys. But there were very few people in academia doing the research on microdosing. And that really gave me like an aha moment. I was like, hmm, this is really powerful stuff that really very few people are talking about. And then I was listening to the Joe Rogan's podcast with Paul Stamet, not the first one, but the second one. And Paul brings up this study where they had two, they had a set of rats where they gave one the equivalent of a, of a superhero journey, a three and a half, or like a, a three and a half gram journey. Then they gave one a microdose journey and then the other one, like nothing, they controlled one, right? And they gave this jarring noise every time they ate food and they created this trauma. And what they found out, and I'm paraphrasing here, so I don't have the full details, but what they found out was like that the, the, the rat that they gave the equivalent of a three and a half gram journey took a few days longer to be exposed to the food without the sound and remove the trauma from this, the jarring sound then did the microdosing. The microdoser actually had a, a more rapid response to this, to the food. And I was like, huh, there's something there. So I'm starting to really dive into the, the studies of microdosing because I believe that really the fundamental opportunity here is going to be microdosing, right? Yes, it's powerful to have the three and a half gram journeys, the control alt lead, as Tim, as Tim Ferriss says, that you need that control alt lead. But just imagine a world where you're feeling anxiety for a single day. And you're like, hey, I don't really want to feel this. You know, I, I have a big meeting or I have a big day. What do you do? You can't really take a big journey, right? So let's just take a microdose, right? And this will help you dim down what's called the DMN network, the default mode network. The default mode network is, is in charge of the I version of you, right? The I, it's called the ego part of your brain because it's controlled to me myself and I how do you respond to the world so it kind of like just dims it down it doesn't it, if it's hyper extensive or it's hyper activated it dims it down and allows you to reduce that anxiety that overthinking that over and that's my journey with it man and it was just like okay let's become an advocate and that's where I launched my mushroom course I launched a mushroom course allowing people to learn about the general science of mushrooms mycology fungi with an emphasis on psychedelics, with an emphasis on microdosing. And from there, I took my own microdosing journal and I created a microdosing journal because nobody had, I looked in the market and I was like, no one has something that's simple, clean, elegant, and to the point with a scientific approach and, uh, and like a really spiritual concepts around. And I put it up in February and it sold out the first day, the second day it sold out, the third batch sold out. And so finally it's not open without any limits. Because And this is something where I'm really looking into doing the long-term play of the game here, because like, this is an incredible opportunity and we're seeing it become very socially acceptable. It's no longer, mushrooms are no longer for the festivals or the hippies or the Rastafarians, right? And we're starting to see high performers and CEOs and individuals who are creating art, music, and culture come out in favor of this. Yeah, that's, that's a really fascinating story. And I'm really curious what your day, what a typical day looked like, because you mentioned that you didn't use your computer that much, and you took a microdose of Ozebine and meditated, of course, but what did, did you actually do during the day? 
Yeah, let's find out. I'll pull out my journal. Actually, I just found it literally right here. I literally just found it. Like, it's so awesome. So I would wake up. I would wake up. I'd meditate. I would, actually, I'd wake up. I would hydrate. Probably I'd take like one liter of water and I would chug it. So hydration was really important for me. I would exercise for 30 to 45 minutes, like in hit high intensity workouts that would make my body really work. Then I would meditate, journal, video, read, breakfast. So this is like a probably a two and a half hour, three and a half hour morning routine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. Every day I would go to sleep between 8.30 and 9 p.m. From there, I would just start ideating on uh, di- on different concepts, mental mental models and just handwritten notes, and making sure that these things were coming along really well. I would also spend maybe two hours a day reading everything from spiritual concepts to psychological concepts to therapeutic concepts to mycology concepts. Also, a lot of a lot of reading in terms of the study of psilocybin. So I was actually in the works as I was experimenting while I was learning. And then I would eat super healthy. I think my diet consisted for a period of long time, lean protein, vegetables, and some form of rice or grain. Like that was it. Like super clean, super lean, all home cooked. Mind you, this was in the midst of the pandemic. So we didn't really have to go anywhere, right? I didn't have a job. So nobody really needed me either. I was really blessed to be able not to focus on anything other than myself. But the one hour, like the 90 minutes that I did use, I would use it to engage with community. I would use it to engage with Twitter or Instagram or, you know, host Zooms or be part of Zooms just so that I would still have that sense of community. And since we're, since I was a digital nomad and being just somebody who was digitally native, this wasn't a hard adoption for us, right? Like COVID was actually like, okay, great. Business as usual. Let's keep moving, right? Like, so that was really helpful. And then every day my wife and I would chat through concepts or things that were coming up for me for integration for about an hour. And that, I feel like that was really the important aspect. Like I had my own therapist at home uh, for an hour a day, right? Like it was hyper intensive. I wouldn't recommend this to people today just because like I went above and beyond. Uh, with that said, extreme people get extreme results. And that's what I feel. I just knew exactly what I wanted to do. I hyper-focused at it. I created an environment that was solely for me. And that was really powerful. And by every day before bed, no matter what time it was, I would do the video journal. Exhausted, I'd be like, oh, yeah, my God, today was a really tough day. It was really challenging. Or today was a really awesome day. I got this, 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 and this done. I figured this out, or I healed this part, or I let go of that. And what I came to find out through this process was that there was a lot of judgment, self-judgment, a lot of expectation. I recognized that I was a people pleaser even though I, I, I was achieving, but I didn't know how to set boundaries. And I learned that the fear of rejection was something that was driving me unconsciously. You know, I was afraid of people of being rejected by people being no. So I would adopt to people, please, just to make sure that I, I would still get the opportunity or whatever. And in summary, I would keep, I would burn myself to keep others warm. And it happened three or four times in my twenties to an extent that I burnt out three times, right? And so finally I was like, hey, this is not healthy. And I allowed myself to really forgive myself. So what microdosing did for me was it provided me with two critically important characteristics for me. One, empathy. Empathy to understand myself and to understand others. Empathy to understand that 
everything is not about me. That it's okay to mess up. It's okay to fall or to fail, but it's not okay to live in those failures or to carry those failures or those mess ups with you moving forward. And that led me to the second characteristic that I really, really, really love is courage. The courage to forgive, the courage to let go, the courage to accept, but not adopt. And in this process, I started becoming a coach and I started recognizing that my pain is my purpose and that my mess became my message. And I became incredibly open and incredibly transparent through this process. And I started recognizing that people were starting to empathize with my story and started seeing the different concepts that were happening. I wasn't, I wasn't alone. It showed me that everyday people were going through this as well. And that the people that you thought had it all together started reaching out to me and being like, hey, thank you for sharing that post. Me too. Hey, how did you go about resolving this? You know, I recognized that I had trauma around money. More recently, I found out that I had trauma around sex. More, more recent, more things started showing up in terms of the fear of failure, the need to have it right, the need for control. And I was like, this is exactly what the world needs. But it's not just the medicine. It's actually you wanting to do the work. So I want to make sure that it's very clear that the medicine is you. Psilocybin is not the silver bullet, right? It's kind of like what I, what I akin it to is like when you need to drink a little cup of coffee because you want to get like that little energy booster or that focus or that clarity, that's the kin. But you're still doing the work. You don't give caffeine the credit, right? When people drink coffee, they're like, I did the work. I did that thing. I put it together, right? So no one gives caffeine the credit. And that's what I feel like it, it's also really something important that we discuss it because a lot of people in the space, in the psychedelic space, tend to, when they first have an experience, they tend to give the credit to the medicine, which is great. It's awesome. Yes, the medicine is there to show you a purpose, but you have to do the work, right? You're the person that actually shows up and faces that fear or faces that anxiety. And that's really where my days went to. And it was really powerful because it helped me understand that I can be an example and lead through my own narrative. Yeah. So you mentioned the scientific method and um, you said, of course, it's easy to lie to yourself. So I am curious because just from your story, I would guess that your experiment was a success, right? But were you able to notice any quantitative measure, um, differences in terms of your blood pressure, heart rate, variability, whatever? Yeah, that's really awesome. And thank you for asking that question. I think it's very important that I, I actually did track this. So my blood pressure did drop significantly. In my family, I have a high blood pressure. And so I was used to be at the 140s over 90s or 140 over 80. And now I was able to drop it to between 115 and 120 over, over 68, which is super healthy. I noticed the drop within those first 30 days. My heart rate levels went down back down to the 40s. I, but I'm, I, I'm an athlete, so I exercise, I run marathons, so that was really natural. I think what was really, was really intentional was the heart rate variability. So how fast, how many microseconds between each pump I went from 50, 50 to 60 on a high level to 100, 110 milliseconds per heart rate variability. That, I think that was like, 
the healthiest notice. I also tracked my sleep with REM. So my REM cycles went from 90 minutes uh, to about like 98 to 100 minutes, which those 10 extra minutes were really powerful. Deep sleep went into increased by about 15 to 20 minutes as well. And so the, the quantitative aspects were really found in my body in a very healthy way. I was able to relax faster. I was able to bring down my, my blood pressure down. I was able to increase my heart rate variability. For any athletes out there, they know that that is how recovery really happens. And my sleep went from uh, six hours to eight hours naturally, which is really, really awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear that it actually did show up in the quantitative signals. And since you, you didn't just take psilocybin, right? You didn't just microdose, but you took this whole stack, right? And yeah. I'm not sure if you're actually explained what the stack is, but I'm curious if you're actually able or have any thoughts on what part of the stack had what effect and are there any stack uh, statistics, whatever data? Because for example, of course, just meditation and chaga would have maybe a similar effect or not? So do you have any thoughts? It's a very interesting question. Hmm. So my stack was the following. It was about 100 milligrams of, uh, 100, between 100 to 200 milligrams of lion's mane. I know actually two grams of lion's mane, two grams of lion's mane, between 100 to 200 milligrams of niacin. And then roughly between a 10th to a 20th, uh, to a 20th of a gram on psilocybin. So it's roughly 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams of psilocybin. You know, the niacin is really interesting because it could also be a placebo effect, right? Because it, it gives you the, the tingly feeling that you're doing. It actually lets your body know these concepts. But I want to say that psilocybin alone, after the experiment, has shown me that it actually has a therapeutic, therapeutic results that I really like, right? I'm actually about to start my, my third protocol now since I did that. So I've done two protocols in the last year with three months between. And now this one has been roughly about four months between my last protocol. So I give my body time to reset. Can you get these, can you get these results without psilocybin? Yes, of course. It's just about, it's about timeline, right? And like you, the human, that's the thing, that's the beautiful thing about the human body, right? The human body, the human brain, you, you tell what you want to do something you'll be able to do it. It's just about what time and what perception that you have, right? If you want to run a marathon, you can learn how to run a marathon, right? But if you want a marathon with drug enhancing drugs, right? You'll, you'll run it and specifically, right? And so it's not just about testosterone. It's also like creatine, for example. It's, it's an enhancing, like it's a performance enhancing drug that if you start taking creatine, you can actually start increasing your endurance with your muscle endurance for running a marathon. So it's very similar here. What I can say is chaga is also a mushroom, right? Like it's, again, it's the fungi. The fungi is incredibly powerful. Turkey tail, reishi, cordyceps, for example. I drop coffee altogether and, now and I now take cordyceps for when I need energy, right? I don't have the crash, but my, my blood vessels dilate. There's more oxygenation in my blood. I'm able to carry on longer. My exercises are more compounded. And the, the short of it is yes, people can get these results without the psilocybin. And psilocybin is not for everyone a lot of people that come to me ask me hey I'm, I'm going through this 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 and this and i'm like okay let's go through the checklist have you spoken about it to somebody do you have a support system do you have a coach do you have a therapist no no do you do you journal 
Do you have self-care practices? No, no. Okay, you don't need microdosing. Microdosing, it's not the silver bullet, right? It's somebody who's like, hey, I'm doing the work. I have a coach. I have a therapist. Like I have my morning routine. I'm exercising. I'm meditating. And I still can't figure out what that is. Here's the key to help you unlock it. But it's not for everybody. There are people, what I, what I am seeing in the market is that this is going to be an incredibly powerful medicine for depression and anxiety. I believe that this is going to be more powerful than any SSRI that's out there in the market. And I can't wait for the FDA and legalization to kind of standardize a specific process so that there, you know that you're getting the same amount of psilocybin every single time. Because right now you don't know if a mushroom has a higher, if a single mushroom has a higher concentration than some or the other one, right? You don't know if you're taking, there's some mushrooms that have a high potency, there's mushrooms that have low potency on it. And I think that that's where in terms of the business concept, the business opportunity is going to be in terms of like, A, legalization one, we're seeing it in Oregon, just passed Act 109, which legalized all drugs, right? Which is going to be really powerful. Number two, we're starting to see the decriminalization in states uh, such as Michigan, Washington, D.C., California, and Oakland, and Santa Cruz. And then you also have Colorado. You also are now seeing Connecticut, Florida, Hawaii starting to pass laws around medicinal psilocybin. So this is going to open up like the same pathway that we saw for medical marijuana. We're going to see it for psilocybin. One of the things that I'm really concerned with, though, is the corporate aspect of psilocybin approach because these come from ancient practices psilocybin and this medicine comes from very ancient wisdom it's been around for over four or five thousand years you know the greeks the egyptians uh the mesopotamians the the eastern europeans the western europeans we see this in a lot of history and context especially and especially in central and latin america and native americans we see this in a very ritualistic practices that have always been there Right. And so for us to take something that's natural and then kind of systemize it and productize it in terms of capitalism is good. So we can create a democratized access to it in a way that's safe and consistent. That's what I'm about. But when you have companies that start patenting, you know, synthetic compounds that are found in nature, regardless, right, or start patenting holding hands or like or soft furniture, right? Like the intent behind those actions is what I question in terms of conscious leadership. And what I also want to make sure is that the opportunity here as this becomes legalized and becomes more democratized is also the celebration of the native roots, right? Of the people of color, the people who are in the Native American approaches, right? The tribal history is really important that we go back to that and we celebrate these organizations who are preserving these practices really powerfully. Look, in terms of business opportunities, this is going to be an, like a massive gold rush, especially now with that we had such a jarring global event. People were tied into their houses. They couldn't leave. A lot of people spent a lot of time in solitude. Jacob, a lot of people don't like themselves. I mean, this is why they escape, you know, escapism is very real, right? They escape through work, they escape through parties, they escape through friends, they escape through, and this was a really powerful event where it like really forced us to dig in deeper. I think in this light, we're gonna see a lot of retreats. We're gonna see a rise of a lot of people becoming licensed or certified practitioners in psilocybin, 
ceremonies. I think there's going to be a rise in spiritual psilocybin connections and retreats and events and experiences that marry the spiritual with the psilocybin with the psychedelic. But I think the biggest opportunity is not only the psilocybin, it's the integration part. Integration starts before the journey. Asking yourself, what is the intention behind this? What is my intention about going and taking this medicine, right? Going in with a specific question or going in with a specific intention and then being open to receiving in whichever way, right? There's no such thing as bad journeys or bad trips. There's just your perception of that journey that makes it good or bad, right? The the desire for control. And really the post-integration is critically important. Most people think that they can take a journey and then go back to work the next day, right? You have a moment where you're so divine, you feel so free. And then someone's like, hey, did you get the reporting? Can you please do this deck? Like there's a, that's a, that's a, that's a shock, right? So it's really about how do we integrate that process? How do we engage this, these concepts so that it becomes socially acceptable for you to go to work and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to have a psilocybin journey this weekend. I won't be in the office until Wednesday. So I need three or four days to really process because now what we see is like the one, the day after everybody journals with six or seven pages and then Tuesday, they're back to their old ways. So it's really about the, the opportunity, the business opportunity here to regard this is really how do we bring integration so that we have sustainable and recurring change? So we have transformation. That's really what I'm, I'm thinking about it from a, from a business perspective. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm very curious who, since you mentioned like huge market, uh, like for weed and for weed, marijuana, it's of course, like for pain relief and people with cancer, these kind of customer groups, I would say also relaxation. I, I, I really don't know a lot about these industries, but I'm very curious what you're saying, who will be interested or customers or whatever for psilocybin? and these mushroom products, because it's certainly not for, for everyone. And I know that if you're talking to like psychologists, they will tell you that everyone has trauma. And yeah, if you, if you are the, the, the barber, if you need a haircut, he will always say yes. So it's, it's the same with trauma, in my opinion. And I'm very curious. And also what kind of signs you're seeing that people maybe can notice themselves that they need or would benefit from something like this? It's an excellent question. I think it's the, I, I believe that it's the everyday person who has this kind of cloud over their head, who is really living or carrying a lot of anxiety or a lot of, a lot of stress in their lives, but they don't really know or how to articulate what's going on in their world where they've normalized this as kind of like their everyday concept. So being able to show them that life can be lived in a different way, in a different perspective through a different framework. That could be the first person. Microdosing also has something really that I came to my understanding is also has athletic performance, increasing possibilities. So uh, there are studies right now being performed on athletes with microdosing. Also people with PTSD, I feel like that's going to be really powerful, especially in athletic concepts in terms of brain damage. There's a few, there's a few studies being done with NHL hockey players that's showing really promising signs. 
what I'm really concerned here, like you said, like if a psychologist tells you that you're trauma, there's trauma, there's always, right? Like, or they can create it. It's about these false narratives that are there that we need to start dropping, right? And what I'm really concerned about is that these legalization or this democratization of licenses and practices or things of this nature are just gonna be for people who want to explore it. And the flood of those individuals are gonna actually remove the people that actually need the actual help. So a lot of times the people who need the actual help don't know how to ask for the help, right? And it's gonna take a really big transformation for also for psychologists and therapists to say, hey, this could be a potential opportunity for you to explore this instead of psychiatrists giving SSRIs, right? Or being in the pocket of the pharmaceuticals, right? It's gonna be saying, hey, am I really in, in, in the best interest of my patient or am I in the best interest of having this person as drugged up as possible? Right. Because I, I have friends who have taken SSRIs and say, I don't feel anything. I don't feel joy and I don't feel sad. I just I'm, I'm like numb throughout my day. Well, I think that could be a great candidate for somebody who doesn't feel to actually try psilocybin as a potential therapy under the, the right control settings. Right. Under the under the settings of a therapist, under the settings of a psychologist, of a doctor. Right. Like it's really important that the support's there. I believe that people who just want to explore that side of themselves is also very powerful. I think introspection and self-consciousness is really something that people need to start waking up to. And I feel like this, our generation is really more aware of this and more conscious to it. And it's uh, this professor, Alan Keegan, I believe is his name from Harvard University. He had this concept called the social conditioned mind to the self-authoring mind. And there, the study says that it's like, for about the first 25 years of your life, 30 years of your life, you are living through your social conditioning mind, your parents conditioning, your school conditioning, university conditioning, your uh, elemental conditioning, your societal conditioning, your work conditioning, right? You have to do this, you have to do that, this is wrong, this is right, this is not. And he starts saying that at some point in adult life, you actually start the same way there's Maslow's hierarchy of survival, there's something actually has this hierarchy of adulthood, right? Where you can actually start creating your self-authored mind, right? Where it says like, hey, I'm not about this or I'm not about that. Or, this is not cool. This is not good. Or you know what? I've always wanted to buy that car. I'm going to give myself the permission to buy this car, right? And what most people call, what we call the self-authoring mind, most people call it midlife crisis, right? <laughs> and so it's really, it's beautiful because it's, it's waking you up to what you want. So I think the people, the individuals who are kind of like, hmm, this isn't right. Like there's an inkling, like I'm, there's always an inkling, right? Mm, there's something about me that's kind of waking up. There's something about me that I kind of want to explore deeper. That's also a great candidate. So to recap, I feel like it's going to be the individuals who have one had suffered with chronic anxiety, chronic depression that are going to be top of the line. You know, like you said, cancer patients for end of life, like John Hopkins and Imperial College are doing for end of life therapy. Then there's going to be the individuals with PTSD or actual physical brain damage that can actually start helping. And then four, it's going to be that psychonaut or the self-exploratory individual who really would like to take on their own method into their own hands, that, that self-biohacker that we see today. Yeah, makes, makes, makes perfect sense. And I will probably out myself as a complete. I've, I've, I really don't know a lot about this world, but I'm curious, are there different kinds of psilocybin? Because, you know, 
for marijuana, for weed, there are all these different strains and websites with different information on this is working like this, take this if you have this kind of problem. Does something similar exist for mushrooms? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. There is different, there's different species of psilocybin and each species has a different, a different level of quantity of percentage of psilocybin. So acids have the highest concentration at like anywhere between one to 2%. Uh, cyanescence have like the second highest concentration and it's between 0.8 to 1% of uh, concentration of psilocybin. And then the most popular one is called psilocybin cubensis. When within those psilocybin cubensis of that species, there's different strains, right? So strains can be anything from called penis envy, golden teachers, McKenna's, Mazatex. And those, these are all just kind of similar in the same of saying wine. And then there's red wine and there's Merlot and then there's Cabernet. And then there's, you know, like, like there's just different flavors for different concepts. It all depends on the individual and there's different things that happen. I think the one, the one of the most popular ones that are in the market right now is called the golden teacher. It's a psilocybin cubensis from the psilocybin cubensis species and strain. And from my experience, it's been really soft. It's very gentle. It's very kind to you. It allows you to think things emotionally, but not through a jarring process. It's very much allows you to be in the body, allows you to really take care of it. And it's been really popularized within the psilocybin community. There's also B+, which is really powerful as well. They're very positive, very uplifting mushroom from my experience. The mushroom McKenna is a very, it's a very philosophical mushroom for me. Very much brings things up for you whether you like it or not, like here it is. So yes, there's different strains, different capacities. There's different species that have it. I'd recommend uh, reading Paul Stamets' book, The Microdo- uh, so the Wild World of Mushrooms, I believe it's the name of the book, but he like really goes into the, psilocy- the mushroom of psilocybin and he breaks everything down. And there's a really famous quote that says, all mushrooms are edible ones, right? So be very careful where you get them. If you are foraging, do your homework, you know, make sure the gills, you get them identified. When in doubt, throw it out. Like if you're not even similar confused, because there's so many mushrooms that kind of look like they're psilocybin posted, but they're actually poisonous mushrooms, right? And so just make sure you do your homework, do it safe and, you know, take precautions. Yeah, so... <laughs> Since you recommended a book, I suppose there is no website like Leafly for wheat, for Mariana, mushrooms. Yeah, there's one called Shroomery. Yeah, it's called Shroomery. You can actually go and find and identify specific concepts. Let me double check if it's, yeah. Shroomery.org is really powerful. It's It's really about magic mushrooms being domestified, everything from classification to growing techniques to different texts to different mixtures to different compounds and it's a wonderful community the reddit community is really powerful as well mycology uncle ben's tech rooms like there really there really are these social network communities that are really powerful again this is not medical advice i'm not a doctor right like i'm just here sharing this from a passionate hobby perspective like do your homework do your research and make sure that everything that you do is on your own will. And if you have questions, reach out to your doctors, read the studies, you know, reach out to these doctors at, 
all these colleges, I feel like there would be 100% more likely to give you the correct advice than some of these websites. But at the same time, these websites are really powerful, you know, the collective knowledge. I think uh, novice mycologists have actually helped identify a tremendous number of new species, more so than actual ethnobotanists and all the botanists in the world have actually come. So this is, mycology has become this social gathering community where they come together and people with no degrees, no formal training are actually becoming experts in the field. Like Paul Stamets, for example, once again, we bring him up. He doesn't have a classically trained education, right? He, he himself is just hyper-individualized, hyper-autodidactic, and he has a significant number of patents and he has this company and he's worked with you know, the defense department on saving bees, right? Like with mushrooms and he has like his host defense company. And so it goes to show you that it, the mushrooms are very open to community as long as you understand that you're here to learn and you're here to share. Yeah. So uh, what was the website again? Because I just tried to find it and wasn't able to org because sure. uh, it seems to be down. down. Build, yeah, yeah, it seems to be down, but that's, re I think they're doing some updates on it, but I, it is, it is the website, Shroomery. And then Reddit community, mycology, mushrooms, are, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. But the website looks like it's really old <laughs> in terms of... Yeah, uh, it's, it's from the 2000s, you know what I mean? Yeah. It keeps it very simple, straight to the matter. Yeah. And is it like examine or Leafly for psilocybin? Is it really... Let, from... me, let me see. Let me see what Leafly... Is it Leafly.com or is it... Let me check. Please. yeah okay so 50 years before 20 enjoy for 20 so leafly is more of like yeah so this is definitely strange dispensary cbd it's something very similar but at the same time it's also very much a community network this seems more like a a website that allows you to learn and process but i don't know if you're able to log in yeah okay yeah your account so i'm not too familiar with leafly so i can't really say but Shroomery is very much user-driven and user-generated content. Gotcha. Okay. So finally, I would like to talk very briefly again about business opportunities, of course. And yeah. because you mentioned, of course, like coaching, what you're doing is one way to, to help bring this change that you talked about and help actually people provide value but still earn a living. And the second thing you mentioned was this journal that you created for people that helps them during their journal through some kind of uh, journey uh, by some kind of structure. And I'm curious, yeah. is, is there anything else you're, you're seeing anything else for someone who wants to get involved where you think that would be awesome if it would exist? You know, I feel like dispensaries are really going to be powerful and really high high quality mushrooms with the source, right? Kind of like similarly to marijuana, like these different strains are going to start coming about. I think curation is going to be a really powerful business opportunity. Delivery concepts, branding is going to come into play for this. Then you also have like the opportunity to create experiences, right? People are going to want to travel to places the same way people go to the Ecuador, the Amazon for ayahuasca journeys. There may be an opportunity to create some form of retreat center or, you know, and like out of like out of out of your regular day life experience that can actually help you with sound healing or, you know, breath work or marinate with psilocybin. That's going to be really powerful for these journeys. 
you know, an opportunity is also going to be in education, educating people and creating content. There's this really good website called Double Blind Mag, uh, Double Blind Magazine. It's founded by these two really powerful women. I think that that's an incredibly great resource for anybody who wants to start getting into the space. It's filled with everything, historical knowledge, what's going on. There's also the Chakruna Institute that's really doing some amazing things. That's a little bit deeper, more core to the center of the purest world. The Synthesis Institute is really powerful as well. For Black, African-American, and the people of color, there's the Sabine Project. The Sabine Project is a really great organization that's driving the use of psilocybin within a people of color conversation. And it really is up to the individual. It's like really a blank canvas, right? Because there is going to be these, and there's going to be everything from end of life process. There's going to be trauma, depression, anxiety, there's also going to be just recreational, right? There's this concept that I really love that was just introduced to it. And it's that it's like therapeutic, there is spiritual, and then there is kind of like recreational. But what's at the center is transformation. It's like this little Venn diagram, therapeutic, spiritual, recreational, and at the center is transformational, right? Because you can have a therapeutic recreational experience you can have a therapeutic spiritual experience but when when you have one that's recreational spiritual and you have transformation regardless of what happens those three methods can be really therapeutic i think also for me like the journal is really powerful i think we're going to see a rise of those as well i like to say that i'm the, one of the first movers into that so i'm, I'm really really excited about that i think microdosing capsules are going to be really great for individuals who have those things so paul stamets has a patent on his on his stack i feel that having cacao mixtured with psilocybin is going to be more heart opening i think that's going to be a really powerful one as well to whoever patents that maybe i should do that actually when i think <laughs> about it um, there's also going to be a really 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 powerful market for anyone who can standardize the psilocybin dose in a non-synthetic way right if you can extract pure if you can extract pure psilocybin from mushroom and not synthesize it Think that's going to be really powerful but the question that we're having right now in the scientific community and the, in the psychedelic community is is there other elements that the mushroom has that help with the journey right because when something's just too pure or too clean you may not have the same side effects as when it's just the mushroom itself because the mushroom may have some nutrient or some protocol or some you know vitamin or mineral that actually helps you as well those are the those are the studies that are happening I think the biggest wave is going to be education, to be honest, to like, how are people going to be able to, to do this? My biggest fear or my biggest hesitation right now is that the more these pharmaceutical like companies start becoming present and you start seeing them become incredibly public this year, we've had a ton of companies go out uh, in public this year is that they're, they're going to start creating fear-based propaganda against your home grower against the thing. Right. So it's like, like oh you grow your own mushrooms you have to have a standard there's this there's that right where i people who grow their own mushrooms at home can have the medicine right and i think that there may be a pushback to this and so that's really my area of concern in terms of business opportunity is making sure that people recognize that growing this medicine in your own home can also be super healthy as long as you get the spores and the resource and the sources come from the right place yeah. And 
I was just thinking, what could you do in order to help keep it decentralized and not give all the power to the big big pharma companies? And for example, if you could have a device that actually measures the psilocybin content of what you did produce at home, I think that could be really helpful, right? And I'm not sure how it works in terms of blood work, but you know, these, these kind of gadgets that now exist, which like levels for your blood sugar, if something like this um, could exist for psilocybin, I don't know what the corresponding markers is, but just to check for yourself if your dosage is right, right? If you're um, doing this for an extended period, like you did for 30 days, I think it would be very helpful to get some feedback <laughs> regularly if you're doing it correctly. So I'm not sure if this is technologically, if this is possible at all, but I would just imagine if this would exist, it would be really helpful. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it, there are companies now that you do this for marijuana, right? Like you go bring your nug and it tells you the A, the THC compound. I'm not at liberty to say who who's doing this in the psilocybin world, but there are some companies in the Pacific Northwest in the United States that have been able to actually let you know the, the level of concentration in your psilocybin. So for example, I feel like that's gonna be a service that a lot of dispensaries, once they figure out or democratize the process, or you can license that process, uh, that you can go to your town dispensary, you can bring your mushrooms, you can say, hey, can you let me know how much psilocybin are in these four mushrooms? Boom, yes, it's gonna be $15 for us to let you know. Boom, done, great. And then you find out the concentration. Yeah, that's 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 even more <laughs> practical. Where you have like these labs on demand, where even maybe you can just send your your stuff there and get the result um, back, or they just cut it into pieces, whatever you need, or produce some kind of powder from for you, which it would be like with yeah with apples, where people have their apple trees at home and they can send it to the big um, factory and get their apple juice back, right? <laughs> something yeah. something along these lines so and you go ahead and you mentioned like this combination of psilocybin and cacao and i just had a look at the shroomery subreddit and the top post currently is like chocolate with psilocybin in it and different dosages like 3000 milligram and yeah psilocybin mushroom edibles is it's called yeah edibles <laughs> are going to be very powerful man because you can mix it into your food you can actually cook with it you can actually embrace it you can drink it as a tea, you know, it's like you can put it into anything because you can, it's powder form, right? So you can actually extract the volume into butter, into cream, into, into pastas, into cookies, into chocolate, into whatever it is, it's going to be a market. Yeah, definitely. And I just had a look at the double blind Mac and it seems to be free, right? It's, they are not, yeah. there's no paywall and the way they are making money is, oh, okay. They also have a print magazine, which of course, um, they, have a print, they also offer some courses and things yeah. of that nature. This is what I just wanted to say. Yeah, they are monetizing by offering courses on how to grow your own stuff. This kind of thing. Very cool. Looks, look, yeah, looks very trippy. I would say the website. It, it looks very fun. That's really cool. And just another thing I noticed because we're sometimes having a look at different subreddits where like the, the uh, growth charts and one subreddit that is absolutely taking off is shroom stocks where yeah the the subtitle is let's ride the mush rush so yeah <laughs> for people so you see like the po the possibilities are endless yeah definitely there's there's a lot to look into and they are trying to identify companies you can invest in which 
will do good things in that direction as soon as it is legalized. At least that's how I understand it. So thank you so much for um, taking the time. And where can people find out more about you and your stuff? Yeah, thanks for so much, Jacob. You guys can follow me on Instagram, on Twitter. Uh, Twitter is Luis A. Navia. On Instagram is at Alejandro Navia underscore. My website, AlejandroNavia.org. Please DMs, emails are always open. As Jacob, you know, you DM me and here we are. So I'm hyper responsive to questions and opportunities. And if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for having me, Jacob.